Father, we do uh, just lift up this time tonight, and Lord, we do ask that as we uh, kind of wrap up this letter and listen to the heart of Peter, uh, which is really your heart, God, that once again it would impact our lives. As Peter just encourages us in, in the midst of difficult times and, and uh, things going on, I pray that, Lord, that we wouldn't allow our circumstances to dictate our walk with you, but we would allow our walk with you to overcome our circumstances. So I pray that you would bless this time and, and once again encourage us and strengthen us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so we're going to wrap up First Peter tonight. And uh, remember, Peter's writing to people uh, who they've, they've kind of, some of them have been, have been uh, duped into some false doctrine, kind of going aside. Some are pretending to be believers. And he challenges all of that. And Peter mostly is challenging the idea that bad things happen to good people. And we, you know, I know that we don't like to think about that. We don't like that whole idea, but it's true. Bad things happen to good people. And Peter's trying to get them to understand. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are not just maybe persecution, but are heavily persecuted. People are being fed to lions and, and you know, in the Colosseum and different things going on. Nero, I think, is his persecution is at its height. And so he's having, you know, they're having to deal with all of that. And Peter's trying to get them to stand strong in the midst of that. So as he's doing that, we need to think about, he's not just, he's not just, hey, this could happening. This is happening. And they need to understand that. Now, most of us are not facing something that difficult, but we still have issues in our life. We have things coming up and things that, that, that attack us in a way to distract us from our relationship with Jesus. And so Peter's going, think about it, and we need to be people who we do not allow that to happen. Now I'm gonna back up and do six and seven again because they go so well with eight, nine, 10, and 11 that I wanna talk about them a little bit and go back and, and reiterate them. So verse six, he says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And once again, we gotta think about this because here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you know what? It's necessary for us to learn humility and to learn humility in God's timing because in God's timing, he will exalt us. And we need to know that. It may not be, listen, it may not be in this lifetime. Maybe when, listen, when we're gone to be with him and he may do something in this li lifetime, but we need to trust him and ultimately, we need to understand something. God is awesome. Amen. Notice what he says. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Understanding, here's what I know. There's a lot of things I can't do, but there's nothing that my God can't do. And I need to be humble before him and allow him to do and be God and me not trying to take the reins. And I know most of us think we don't do that, but we so do that, right? We don't want to trust him in circumstances. We want to fix them. So first of all, he's saying we need to understand that. And then we ended last time, and I love this verse, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Notice he doesn't say some of your cares. 
everything. We need to cast everything on the Lord. And it's interesting that that word for casting is obviously, you know, more for them a fishing term. And remember, Peter was a fisherman, right? And in Israel, when you would fish, you didn't cast like a rod and reel where you're talking about casting now. And I think that's how you fish. I'm not a fisherman. So I read about it someplace. But casting in Israel, would, you would take a net and cast it like this and use both hands. Huh. You have to use both hands. We have to use both hands in casting our, 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 our cares before him. One hand is a hand of prayer, going to the Lord, giving it to him. The other hand is having faith that he's going to take care of that situation and work in that situation. So casting, listen, we need to understand that we give all of our cares. And I love the idea, listen, it's written in such a tense that you're giving them up and you're not gonna take them back, right? You're giving them to him and then he cares for you. Isn't that, isn't that like what it's all about? Why can I cast my cares upon God? Because he cares for me. My God loves me. He's proven it by sending his son to die for me. What other proof do I need? And he's letting me know he loves me, his son died for me, and man, he cares about my life. I am thoroughly convinced that God cares about every detail of my life and wants to be involved in it. And you know, some of us give him more to deal with than others, but he wants to be involved, right? He wants to be involved with us, so, so all of that. So now listen, in light of that, in light of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, trusting him, casting all our care upon him, then Peter says this, because I think we have to have that attitude. Listen, if you don't have that attitude, you're not gonna understand verses especially eight and nine. You gotta have six and seven in your heart for eight and nine to come true. And he says, be sober, be vigilant. Now before we read on, just think about that. When he's talking about sober here, he's not talking so much about sobriety from you know, addiction and, and having addictions. He's saying we need to be attentive, we need to understand what's going on. We need to be aware. We need to be sensitive to what's happening, right? We need to not walk around like we're in some kind of stupor, but we need to know, man, there is something going on around us, and we need to be aware of that, conscious of that, and understanding that. Then we need to be vigilant, man. We need to be people who we're gonna keep an eye on it, and we're not gonna be people like, do you ever, do you ever like sometimes in the afternoon start nodding off? I don't know if that comes with age. I know the ager you get, the more nodding that happens. Right? But you kind of, it's sometimes in the afternoon. Sometimes when I'm studying, it's like, right? And you're trying to read and trying to study. That's the opposite of what he's talking about. Right? Be vigilant, man. We got to be awake. So I find things to keep me, you know, like I'll, Chew on some, chew gum or something to kind of stay so I can, I can keep going. Do you do that in your Christian walk? Do you find ways to keep going? Do you find ways that you can pay attention to what's happening? Or are you kind, kind of nodding off, spiritually speaking? You're kind of in that place where you're not vigilant, you're not paying attention. So he says, listen, if we humble ourselves, 
cast all of our cares, then we need to know we don't just cast our cares on God and say, take care of it, but we become sober and vigilant. We become people who were paying attention. Why? Here's what he says. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Now, let's think about that for a moment. We have an adversary. I think most of us know what that means, right? It's somebody coming against us. It's somebody who wants to get us. It's an enemy. We have an enemy of our souls. And I think it, uh, sometimes we kind of we just forget that. Now, listen, I know some people, some people don't forget that, and they overemphasize that, right? And they kind of have a demon behind every bush and everything that happens. But we have, we have an enemy of our souls, and we need to know that. You have somebody who wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. However they can do that. And listen, I believe he puts obstacles in our way, and I believe the devil knows us pretty well. And he's not gonna tempt us to do something we're not tempted to do. And I use this illustration all the time. Like, if I go in the bank, I'm not really tempted to rob the bank. Like, I, I, if I'm standing in a line, I don't have to... Lord, don't let me rob this bank. Please don't let me rob this bank. I just don't have that, right? So the devil's not gonna tempt me there. When I go in a bank, he doesn't like throw a whole bunch of stuff. But there's other places, and I'm not gonna tell you what they are because they're none of your business, but listen, <laughs> listen. He can tempt us, and he can, he can do that, and he's my enemy. He wants to destroy me. He wants to do whatever he can to ruin my relationship with God. He's not, listen, I'm going to heaven. He knows that. But he wants to ruin the relationship now. And he wants to destroy it. So number one, number one, I need to know I have an adversary. And if I have an adversary, I need to understand something. I need to be sober and vigilant so he doesn't get the upper hand on me. Now you're seeing where Peter's going with that. And then he says, listen, we have an adversary, the devil. And I think too many of us, we either have one extreme or the other with the devil. We either have like the devil behind every bad thing that we do. And I got to tell you something. Most of us are creative enough to do bad things on our own. We usually don't need the devil to help us, right? We're pretty creative that way. But we blame everything on him. We go that way. Or we're in the other camp where we don't believe the devil exists at all. Or we think he's some kind of monster that's going to show up. Let me tell you something, the devil's not gonna show up as a monster. He's gonna show up trying to get us, trying to come up, trying to trick us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we're aware of his schemes, but what a schemer he is. And he comes, listen man, he comes dressed like the best. And we need to know that. And he says, so, so you and I need to understand, once again, I think we, you know, some of us think, ooh, he's like some kind of, nope, he's gonna come, he's gonna sit right beside you. And listen, if you're not sober and you're not vigilant, you're gonna hang out with him for a while. So he says, listen, the devil, and then I love how he describes him. He says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. As I've said, he wants to destroy you. 
Now, interesting about a roaring lion, and a couple, you know, a couple different people, this isn't something I know, I've never been you know, around a lion. The only lion I've seen is lions in a zoo, right? But think about, let's think about this. As Peter uses this illustration, Peter didn't see lions in a zoo. They didn't have zoos. Where did Peter see lions? In the Colosseum. Eating Christians. So it's interesting that this is his mindset, right? And he says he's a roaring lion. Now, things that I read are, you never need to be afraid of a roaring lion. You need to be afraid of the lion that's hiding over there wanting to get you. And here's what, here's, here's what I read, is that the old lions that are kind of worn out, can't do much, and they're usually bigger and louder and grumpier, huh, anyway, so <laughs> we'll leave that alone, but, and, and listen, they're the ones that they're hiding out and they're roaring, Rawr! and they're doing that, and here's why they're doing that, because the young, healthy, strong lions that are gonna eat you are hiding in the bushes, and when you run from him, who do you run into? The guys who wanna eat you, so, Here's what they say, and, and Peter's gonna tell us in a minute. You stand your ground when a lion roars. Now, I'm not gonna, listen, I'm not gonna test that theory. I'm not gonna go on some safari and find out, and if a lion roars at me going, I got you, I'm thinking, I don't even wanna see one face to face. I saw some tigers face to face in Thailand, but, or I'm sorry, in uh, the Philippines, but that was a whole different thing. But anyway, listen, they were supposed to be tame. But, and there was a guy with one arm kind of leading them around, kind of bugged me. But anyway, this is in my head. So, so he says, listen, he goes around like a roaring lion. Now, I understand all of that theory, but what was Peter's vision of a roaring lion? It wasn't, I don't think it was some old codger lion I think it was a lion that was chomping down on believers. And he says, here's, here's the thing. He's seeking whom he may devour. So he lays this out. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. Why? Because we have an enemy of our souls whose whole objective is to destroy us, devour us, get us. And so what do we do? What do we do? Notice what Peter does say. He kind of says what the lion people were saying that I was reading. Here's what he says. He says, resist him. Oh. He didn't say run. He says resist. He didn't say flee. He says stand your ground. You need to resist him. So this is kind of interesting, right? Kind of, kind of that philosophy that some of the people are talking about, about lions. But we need to resist him. Does he sound like somebody else? Isn't there another guy who wrote, called James? And what does James say about the devil? Resist the devil, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have it on the authority of two people that we need to resist, we need to be people. And resisting means you need to take a stand and you need to know, and the only way you're gonna do that is if you're sober and vigilant and if you're somebody who you're humble 
and trusting the Lord and trusting the mighty hand of God and casting all your cares upon him. Because here's what I know, when you cast your cares on somebody else, then you're not fearful about things and fearful about what's going on. You trust that God is gonna take care of them and God is gonna do what God said. So you're standing, right? And you're standing there and you're gonna resist the devil. You're gonna resist him. And you're gonna be somebody, you're gonna be immovable. Well, look at how he puts it. He says, resist him, steadfast in faith. So you resist and you're steadfast in what? Not your power, in faith. And doesn't Paul teach us that this war that we're involved in that is not a war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. And doesn't he tell us you put on the full armor of God and you put on the armor of God and you get dressed in that helmet, you get the breastplate on, you get the belt on, you get the shoes, you get the sword, you get the shield. And what do you do? You stand firm. You don't run. None of those, none of the things Paul described is for running, for standing your ground. And so you stand firm, and, and he says, listen, you're standing and you're steadfast in the faith. And then listen to what he says. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Oh. How many times do we think whatever's happening to us, we're the only person in the universe that bad things happen to? No. What does he tell us? It's happening to your brothers all over. And it's interesting because I'm not sure, I believe, well, when we come to the end of this, I believe, I believe he's probably writing from Rome. So I don't think he's writing that to people who aren't going through things, the people in Rome are going through things, but I think he's letting them know it's not just Rome, it's everywhere. And this stuff is happening. And Again, I know a lot of people, man, they get so down and they get so focused on what's going on on, with them, they don't think anybody else is suffering. And there's people all over the world suffering. As a matter of fact, I don't think we're suffering a whole lot here compared to our brothers and sisters in other countries and what's going on in their hearts and their lives. But I don't like people who are always like, they're always down, right? the Eeyores of the world. <laughs> and the people who are just like, I can't believe. I played golf with a guy a while back and we started playing golf and I'm not a very good golfer. I play golf to make other people look good. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian golfer. I golf to build them up. And I was playing golf with this guy and we're going along and he's pretty happy. And then he started playing bad. Every time he hit the ball, I can't believe that happens to me. Everybody gets all the luck. I don't get any luck. I so wanted to push him out of the cart. It's like, just stop. Now listen, that's just about golf. Can you imagine what his life is like? Can you imagine what goes on when something bad happens in his life? It's only me. Everything bad happens to me. Everybody else has it made. And here's what Paul's telling you and I. You're not the only one suffering. The brotherhood is suffering. Now, he does that in the context, listen, he does that in the context that you and I need to resist the devil and stand firm because we're not the only ones in the battle. We're not the only ones facing these things. And that's where I think it's powerful for my life 
to read biographies. Read biographies of men and women who have been in the trenches, who have gone through things, lived through things, experienced things, and they're on the other side of it, and they're letting you know there's something on the other side. That's powerful. And we need, and then it gives us that whole understanding that there's a world much bigger than our little place that we're taking up, right? There's a great big world out there, and there's people that are doing all kinds of things, and we need to understand that. So here's what he's saying. Think about the brotherhood. Think about what's going on. And he says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by them, but, don't you love verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, or by Christ Jesus. Don't you love that idea? You, get from the, you go from this aspect of suffering and Peter doesn't deny the suffering. Peter doesn't deny that bad things happen to good people. Peter doesn't even deny that it's a bummer. He says, you're not the only one. And you need to, when we focus on those sufferings, what are we doing? We're not casting all of our care upon him. And we're not gonna have victory and we're not gonna be sober and vigilant and we're gonna fall to the prey of the enemy. That's exactly what he wants. So he says, listen, instead of doing that, why don't you understand something? And, and here's what I love. Why don't you understand verse 10? And why don't you understand, first of all, the God of all grace. Wow, doesn't that just sound good? Not the God of some grace. My God has all grace. He has grace for me. He has grace for you, right? The God of all grace. And he says, listen, he says, this God of all grace called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. God wants me to get to heaven. Isn't that kind of amazing? I think a lot of people, listen, I think a lot of people have a concept that God is trying to keep you out of heaven. And that's, you know, that's a worldly perspective. But you're thinking, do you understand how desperate God, how desperately God wants to get you to heaven? Look at the cross. Just focus on the cross. And he wants us in heaven. And I love the idea of the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory. Man, we're gonna go to glory. So isn't the little bit of suffering you're doing now, isn't this at that kind of pale in comparison to what's going on? And again, most of us aren't suffering really huge things. Like I would hate to think I'm getting sewed up in an animal skin so another animal can devour me. That would be frightening. But he says, listen, man, understand, understand the God of all glory. Listen, who, who, he's called us to his eternal glory, God of all grace, by Jesus Christ. Now check this out. After you have suffered a while, once again, you're gonna go through what you're gonna go through. It's not gonna disappear. It's not gonna miraculously go away because you're a Christian. Oftentimes we tell people, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And I believe that. But I believe his definition of wonderful and our definition of wonderful are two different things. And I believe for him to accomplish wonderful in our life, certain things have to happen. Why do they happen to me? Because God loves you. Don't ever forget that. 
And he's a God of all grace. And he's a God who's trying, working desperately to get you to heaven and give you victory. And when we are people who are sitting around whining, sorry, sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves and wondering why do I have all the bad luck and everybody else around me, everything good happens to them. You're not gonna understand what Peter's writing. So after you've suffered, and I love the idea, listen, the way he writes is after you've suffered a while, not suffered a long time, a while. How can he say that? He doesn't know what's gonna happen in my life. Well, compared to eternity, your entire life is just a while, right? It's just a blurb, so, so keep that in mind. And you, you know, you, hey, things are gonna happen. I, I love the idea the Bible's so real. It's not denying that bad things happen. They happen to us. We go through things. We go through things that, that many of us never thought we would ever go through. Some of us lose a child. How do you walk through that? You only walk through that when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and when you cast all your care upon him and then you're sober and you're vigilant and you're not, listen, you're not listening to the enemy, you're hearing the heart of God. And how do I become this person who I understand, listen, I understand that I've only suffered for a while. How do I, how do I comprehend that? You gotta get in your word. You gotta be somebody that you know your God and you know he's faithful, and you can trust him. And the only way you're gonna get there is by reading your word, by being in your word. I know I say that all the time, but that's what we need. He's revealed himself to us. So he says, listen, and then he says, it's good, after you've suffered a little while, this God of all grace, he's saying he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Does all that sound good? I mean, I read those four things. I think, I think the perfect there might be more like he mends. I think, I think that's a way to look at it. Like you're broken, and he's gonna unbreak you. I like to say it that way. He's gonna unbreak you, and it's gonna be okay. Your life may feel broken and torn up. God is gonna take care of that. Why? Because he's a mighty God. He's not an almost God. He's a mighty God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna humble myself. I'm gonna trust him. And he's gonna do that. And not only is he gonna unbreak me, I wanna say it that way, he's gonna establish me. He's gonna give me a footing so that I can walk through that. So I'm not taken out by that, but I'm standing in that. And then not only is he gonna establish me, then listen, I love this. He's gonna strengthen me. I can't do all of this on my own. I can't face the trials that I'm facing on my own. If I could do it on my own, I wouldn't need God, right? I love it when people go, man, all I can do is pray. Why aren't you praying in the beginning? And then when people go, this is so overwhelming, nobody could handle it. That's why we have a God. That's what he's for. And he's gonna strengthen you. He's going to get you through it. I found at those times in my life, where I feel the biggest attack, whether it might be an emotional thing or whether it's some kind of physical thing, when that is becoming overwhelming, then I have to rely on the strength of God because I don't have my own strength. I can't do it. 
and he's gonna strengthen. This is a promise. I love Peter talking about this. Strengthen, and then the last thing he does is he's gonna settle you. Doesn't that just sound good? He's gonna settle you. Some people talk about a foundation, but I kind of think about, you know when your stomach is like all churning and upset, and you take whatever you take for it, and it kind of goes, ah, and it gets settled? I think of that, right? He's gonna settle you. That's my God. That's Peter's God. And once again, Peter's not talking just from, from an ivory tower, and this may happen. You remember that guy who let Jesus know he could handle about anything? Remember him? I'm the rock. You said it, I'm the rock, I got this. And remember the disaster he made of his life? He ended up denying his God, his Lord. Do you understand where Peter's coming from? It's not from, listen, it's not from theory. It's I walked this, I suffered this. Do you know how intense he must have suffered when that rooster started going off that morning? How horrible that was for him. You talk about failure. You talk about deserted. You talk about feeling empty. Man, it all had to be there. And so he knows what he's talking about. And he goes, listen, but after you suffered, here's what also he knows. He knows the rest of this. That he's gonna perfect and sustain and strengthen and settle you. When Jesus met him on that shoreline, remember, remember he's out fishing and Jesus is on the shore and this after Jesus rose and you remember they're looking and John goes, it's the Lord and Peter dives in the water, clothes and all, right? Swims over and it's the Lord and then Jesus, I always love this, Jesus just goes for it, come on, let's go for a walk. And he restored him, right? He said, hey Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me more than these? And everybody's saying, is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about this? And uh, don't try and figure all that out. And Peter says, you know I love you. And that goes on for three times. Why three times? Because he denied him three times. God fixed him. You take the broken and you unbreak it. And he put him back together. He goes, you go take care of things now, Peter. You feed my sheep. Oh, and one more thing. Man, when you die, it's gonna be ugly. Every time I read that part, I think, why'd you bring that up? <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? If I were Peter, I'd go, what? what? He says, it's gonna be awful when you die. Thanks, Lord. I have a great life to look forward to. And then I love it. Peter goes, what about him? Because John's following him, right? Isn't that what we all do? If I'm gonna die a horrible death, I hope his is worse. <laughs> and they kind of had that competition thing going anyway. But do you understand how Peter could write this? Listen, man, he knows. He knows from experience, and he's watching it happen in front of him, I believe, right now. So he says, listen, this is gonna happen. And then I love, he says all that, and it almost causes him to, you know, 
quit the letter, but he's not quite done. So verse 11 says, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like he's thinking about what God is going to do in the midst of our suffering. And he's going, yes, this is a little bit of hallelujah stuff, right? This is a little bit of Pentecostal. He gets a little bit crazy here. And he starts celebrating God, enjoying God, loving God. And then he goes to that, and then he goes, oh, I'm not done yet. And now he's going to wrap up the letter. Listen, as he wraps up this letter, I don't think I need to explain a lot about to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. I think we get that, right? And then, listen, then he goes, oh, wait, i got to talk about this guy. He says, by Silvanus or Silas, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written you briefly. So I don't know if, I don't know if this Silas, this is probably the Silas that hung out with Paul. He's with Peter right now. And I don't know if he's writing the letter for Peter or if he's delivering the letter. And I don't think that's important, but he's hanging out with Peter. And notice what Peter says about him. He says he's a faithful brother, and he says, as I consider him. I think he's, man, he is so good to me. He was good to Paul. I want to meet Silas when I get to heaven. He's a pretty cool guy. I don't know if I'm going to call him Sylvanus or Silas. You have to decide, right? But there he is, and he's saying, listen, man. And he says, and then I love this. I've written to you briefly. So this letter, according to Peter, is a brief letter. His second letter is a briefer letter. But listen, he says, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. What did he write about? The grace of God. And the true grace of God not somebody's make-believe of what the grace of God looks like, but when he says true grace of God, here's, here's the way I interpret that and think about it. What I've been writing to you is to make sure that you're not hanging out and you're not a poser. You need to understand the true grace of God. And part of that true grace of God is, listen carefully, you are going to go through difficult times in your life. That is going to happen. And I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to tell you it's never going to be there. It's going to happen. And some of us to a greater extent than others, right? We all don't go through the same thing. We all don't suffer the same way. But we're going to go through things. And he says, that's the true grace of God that he's written to them. And he says, but notice what he says, in which what? You stand. I stand in the grace of God no matter what my circumstances, no matter what's happening to me, what's coming against me, I'm gonna stand. So are you getting the idea that we need to be people who stand? Let's not be movable. I read an article the other day of a bishop in a church, air quotes, who was transgender who told people to call her it, call her they, because she's still deciding what she is. And she's a bishop of a church and promoting abortion. Don't tell me there's not posers today in the church. This is a church with the name evangelical in front of it. Listen carefully, we need to stand. If there was ever a time, we need to stand. And we need to, and again, not 
not arrogantly, not being people who were asserting things, but we need to not back down. And we need to be strong about it. He says, listen, man, the grace, he says, the grace in which you stand. Don't let people rip the grace of God out from under you. Be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant. And then, listen, then I like this. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you. What on earth is he talking about? I think, he's, I think obviously she. I think he's talking about the church. But why does he say Babylon? Well, there's some who believe he was in literal Babylon. I don't know if he was. Here's the thing. It's kind of always a bummer when these guys kind of do some cryptic things, and you're going, what's up? Right? Now, some say this is just code language for Rome. Because if he's in Rome, he's in the midst of the persecution of Nero. He doesn't want to bring more persecution by writing a letter that's promoting to stand against stuff and doing stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I kind of I kind of understand. I don't think he was in literal Babylon. That's just me. I don't know why I think that either. I can't give you any evidence and act all scholarly. Well, I could, but I could fake it, but that wouldn't be good. I don't know. So, you can decide where you think he is. I think he's writing from Rome. I don't know why he would use a code word I don't know why he would say that, but I think he's writing from Rome. He's writing to the church, and or, or you know, he's writing and saying the church greets you. But I love this part, and so does Mark, my son. Isn't Mark an amazing Bible character when you look at him? I believe Mark. Listen, I believe Mark started out. He was that guy who ran when they arrested Jesus, and they ripped his clothes off. Remember that story? If you don't, read the book of Mark. But listen, and it says the young guy ran and they went to grab him and he ran out of his clothes like a young guy would. I think that's this Mark. And then remember, I think, I think this is the same Mark that went with Paul and Barnabas. Remember when Paul and Barney went on their journey and a young guy went with them, Barney's nephew, named Mark, and he bailed on him and he went back. He said, man, I thought missionary was going to be an adventure. This stinks. Like, we're getting rocks thrown at us. We're getting people hating us. I thought we were going to have fun. I thought it was going to be good. I'm going home. And he took off. And when they got back, then they went to go on their next missionary journey. And remember, Barney goes, hey, we need to take Mark. And Paul goes, ain't no way. I ain't taking that punk. He goes, he bailed on us. And you know, that shows us, listen, that shows us that the men in the Bible were real because remember what it says? That Paul and Barney got in such a dispute. It's sad when godly men argue, isn't it? It's sad when they disagree and they can't resolve something. But here we have, I think, one of the godliest men that we get in Scripture, and I think Barney was pretty godly, and he just can't come to that agreement. That just happens. I'm not justifying it. It just happens. And they split, and Mark went with Barney, and Paul picked up a guy named Silas. Huh, here he is. And then later on, later on, we read that Paul writes in one of his letters, hey, make sure that Mark comes to me because he's been such a great help. So we know that got restored. And then here, here, 
What does Peter say? What does he say about him? He says, and so does Mark, my son. I don't think he's talking about a physical son. And if you read the gospel of Mark, because Mark wasn't there, he wasn't an eyewitness except for the kid who ran out of his clothes. But when you read the gospel of Mark, it sounds an awful lot like somebody that was there. Hmm. You think it was Peter? You think Peter shared with Mark the things that happened and the things that went on? I think they hung out a lot. And I think the gospel of Mark sounds more like Peter than it does Mark. And I think he got his information from Peter. So he says, and so does my son Mark. So I love that idea. And then here's the one we all like, right? Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Paul says a holy kiss. In America, we're offended by that, right? Don't you kiss me. Come up here. It's funny how different cultures are okay with that, right? You go to different cultures and, you know, a lot of, you know, France, they kiss on each cheek. It's not a big deal. People don't get all freaked out about it. It's all okay. And I think this was, this was their greeting. It was like a, a handshake. But man, we read it today and we always go, don't you kiss me. <laughs> it's interesting, Paul called it a holy kiss. I like Mark, or Mark, who's writing this? Peter. Peter says, give each other a kiss of love. Doesn't that sound kind of nice? So if I walk up and kiss you, it's just a greeting, kiss of love. See, we all get all embarrassed, right? Everybody's like, <gasps> And my wife's going, I'll kill you. (laughs) I'm not going to go around kissing everybody. But it's just nice. Listen, shouldn't we care about each other? Shouldn't we love on each other? So what do we do? Now, today, we kind of hug. You know, we'll shake hands, hug a little bit. Guys always tap three times when they hug. (laughs) You can figure out what that means. I'm not gonna say it from the pulpit, ask me later, but listen, he says, he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. This wasn't just, listen, it just wasn't a sign off. He was meaning it. Why would he say peace to you all? Because they had no peace. Because they were being persecuted, they were being beaten. They were being arrested. Horrible things are going on. And you have this apostle writing to you. Think about that. And he says, hey, you know what? Greet each other with a kiss of love and peace to you all. Have some peace. And then peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that's First Peter. Pretty good stuff, huh? When I read the end of this, it kind of makes me want to go back and study the whole book over again to try and get the, you know, listen, man, if this is his wrap-up and he's kind of putting all this together, I think I missed something in the beginning and it makes me want to go back and read it. And then as a teacher, it makes me want to go back and teach it again to try and make sure I capture everything. And that's why, listen, that's why we need to be reading our Bibles. That's why you need to read through. That's why if you teach something, you need to read through the whole, as much as you can. Now listen, I understand you, you teach uh, Genesis, you're not gonna read 50 chapters over and over and over again. 
But here you can read this book over and over and over and over again. Because as his sign-off is coming, there was a whole bunch of stuff he said in the beginning that really pertained to his sign-off. Okay, Peter, thank you. Bottom line, what's Peter telling us? Here's my synopsis. We need to be Christians. And Christian is not just a label. Christian means little Christ or Christ-like. That's what we need to do. We need to do that when it's good, and we need to do that when it's bad and ugly. We need to be Christians. So let's do that in our culture, our generation. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the challenge that we have here in this quote short letter, this brief letter. And I do pray, Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters. And God, I ask that you would move mightily in our midst. That we wouldn't just read these pages, we wouldn't just read these words and even maybe have an idea of agreement, but let these words sink deep in our hearts. And I pray we would begin to flesh them out, that we would live them in our world, and I think especially, especially for people who are going through difficult things right now. Again, it might be spiritual, it might be physical, it might be emotional, but God, I pray for those individuals right now that they would understand that God, you are on their side. You've not abandoned them, you've not forgotten them, you've not left them, but Lord, in the midst of this, they can humble themselves under your mighty hand that they can cast all their care upon you. And then God, with that in mind, they can stand and be sober and vigilant and know that you're going to take care of them and you're gonna fix them, you're gonna establish them, you're gonna strengthen them, and you're gonna settle them. God, just put that in our hearts as we walk with you. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, a lot of this doesn't make sense to you because in the world, what's been said, what's been talked about here is almost the complete opposite of the way the world looks at things. And so it may not make sense And the only way it's gonna make sense is if you come to him, if you open up your heart to him and you ask him to come into your life and you ask him to change you. The great news is Jesus Christ loves you and he came and he died for your sin and he paid the price that you owed. but you're never gonna realize that until you're honest with him and you let him know that you know you're a sinner and you know that your sin 
has offended a holy and righteous God and because of that, you deserve God's wrath. When you understand that, the reality of what Jesus has done for you makes all the sense in the world. So if you want tonight to start that relationship with him, if you want to walk with him and be able to walk through fiery trials and get out and get on the other side of those, not avoid them, but go through them with victory, then you need to call on the name of the Lord and he will hear you. You need to ask him to forgive you and he will do that. So I'm gonna lead you in prayer tonight and the prayer is gonna be just that simple. You're gonna ask God to forgive your sins. You're gonna ask him to come into your life and he's gonna do that. So you can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently. If you're watching online, you can say it right in your home. If you're backslidden tonight, you can say it and come home and come back to Jesus. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And tonight I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.